If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse 4. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 4, we'll start reading there. I want to read a few uh, verses in your hearing, and uh, then we'll make our way uh, into our uh, Bible study this morning. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 4, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the mist of the fire. Also, out of the mist thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet. And the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went, they went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. This is a very interesting image that Ezekiel received from the Lord. And as we know, there is a purpose and a meaning to everything that God does. And I want to uh, talk a little bit this morning on the subject of the four sides of salvation. The four sides of salvation. This uh, image, this picture, this vision that Ezekiel received, it was similar in fashion to the vision that John the Revelator and even Daniel received, but it was different in function. The revelations of John and Daniel spoke of what the future days held, but the revelation of Ezekiel that we read to you spoke of an instant, immediate phenomenon, what had to be done right away to return Israel back to the place of favor with God. Now, when we talk about returning, whether it's Israel or us or anyone that's desirous of a spiritual encounter, when we talk about returning, we often talk about that process as something that we refer to with the one word revival. Revival in and of itself means to renew something that's already there. You're reviving it. You're bringing it back 
uh, to life. And all of us know that God has given us a certain element of faith. The Bible says it's given unto every man a measure of faith. So though we oftentimes refer to this flesh and its temptations and the carnal aspects of it as being the overwhelming obstacles that we we fight and face in our spiritual journey, we must also recognize that every one of us have also spiritual instincts. There is something that is planted in the heart of every man and woman, boy and girl, that is spiritual in nature. Now, we don't always know that. We know that we're looking for something. I've said it before. I'll say it again. When God created us, he sort of left one of the pieces of the puzzle out, and it's a God-shaped piece of the puzzle. And people try to fill it with all different activities and uh, vices and addictions, and, and it just complicates and compounds the problem. But until we get to Jesus and he fills that gap, that hole, that crevice that's in our heart, we, we live a life of looking and searching for purpose and meaning. And that's part of who we are. That's, that's one reason that you'll see even people that are not saved uh, can be very compassionate. And America is, is the most giving nation on the earth. And, and our compassion to do and to help uh, and, and to reach those that are hurting and, and uh, unfortunate situations. And so... Uh, everything in humanity in and of itself of our flesh is not necessarily evil. Part of that, that spiritual instinct, if I can sort of tag it that way, I don't know if that's the, the absolute proper uh, definition of, of what is going on in each of us when we're born in this life, but we have to understand we're made up of three things. We're made up of body, soul, and spirit. We talk a lot about the body, and we are natural beings in a natural world, and certainly we deal with a lot of natural temptations, but we're also spirit and soul. And so part of that spiritual nature that we have is this faith, this ability to believe. It's one of the most powerful aspects of, of, of our nature as human beings is that we can believe that something is possible against all odds. And, and no, no other creature... Uh, created by God has that capacity. But you and I are not just any other creature. We were created in the image of God. And that means more than we look like God. That image means that we have some aspects of our DNA that reflect the nature of God. And so a lot of times we can look around and understand uh, certain aspects of God's nature by just how we interact with each other. And the Lord used the, you know, he talked about how if a father would give gifts to his children, there's an instinct in a father and a mother to care for their children and to try to give uh, gifts to their children. He said, if you understand that, you understand how your heavenly father works. How much more does your heavenly father desire to give spiritual gifts? So there's a lot of things in nature that illustrate uh, the spiritual. One aspect that we see uh, is this uh, this ability to believe that there's a bright light, that good is coming, that what we have experienced in the past is not necessarily what is going to control our destiny. 
that there is a God that loves us, that there is a way that we can pull ourselves up and get on the right track and believe that God will come down and wrap his arms of love around us, even though we don't deserve it, even though we're, we're aware of all of our mistakes and our problems and our failings and the frailty of this flesh, yet deep in our heart we believe that God is able. Job got that in the middle of all of his trials and troubles. He looked over there and he saw a part of nature, and he said, through the scent of water. In other words, it hadn't even started reviving yet. It hadn't even started raining yet, but he saw how in the midst of a dead uh, natural setting, there was the bud of a flower. And he said the only way that's coming back to life is because of the scent of water. It can sense in the atmosphere that life is coming, that moisture is coming, that the rains are coming. And he said just the scent of water causes it to begin to bud. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how it is in our own spirit. Job was saying... I don't see any evidence yet, but I can smell my victory. Good God in heaven. Sometimes that's all you've got. You're like, I don't see any evidence of it, but I can sense in my heart my miracle's coming. My answer is coming. God's fixing to do a great work. I can't point it to you. I can't show it to you on a flow chart. I don't have scientific proof. All I know is there is an expectation in my spirit that said God's going to do the Sometimes you got to go with that. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know when God's going to do it. I don't know where God's going to do it. All I know is God is God. Hallelujah. And I believe that my answer is on the way. So this, this faith aspect of us is, is a part of our, our spiritual nature. And when we are in revival, there is a, a reviving of that that has been planted in us from our Creator. It, it is to renew something that is already there. So even if you have never been saved or given your heart to God, you can be renewed by the stirring up of that gift that is already in you, a gift that you were born with, a hunger that you came into this world with. That hunger is what leads us, you and I, and all of humanity, to a place of seeking salvation for our soul. We understand this body has a shelf life. We understand this body's not going to live forever. But you and I have an eternal nature that's going to live forever. And we know that that element of our eternal nature, that soul, is something that has to be saved. And because salvation can seem to be uh, intangible and fluid, we're not always able to get a picture of it in our natural state. This, this salvation of our soul, this, this element of being spiritually renewed uh, is not always an easy thing in the natural uh, being and in the natural minds that we have to, to be able to fully comprehend and understand. So God in his infinite wisdom, and we see this even in his teaching in the New Testament as he would teach with parables, we find that God tries to help us by, by giving us the face of it or giving us the ability to see it and to be able to understand the infinite principles behind it by giving us an illustration of what it looks like so that we can, we can see it in our terms and to get our arms and our mind around it. This is what 
was happening with what God was calling Ezekiel to do. There were, there were some very spiritual things that were taking place, but God was giving Ezekiel an object lesson, as it were, a, a, a visual aid as to exactly what he wanted Ezekiel to do in his prophecy to the nation of Israel. One of the things that we see early on in this uh, description, we see it early on in the text that we read, is that this thing was born in the fire. When you when you start when we start out reading this, it says, I, "I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself." Now, this is what's interesting about this. This is also what we know is the same indicators of salvation as it took place in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, whenever the 120 gathered in the upper room and they began to seek and ask for this comforter that the, Jesus had told them would come, that whenever they prayed for it, that uh, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. The book of Acts chapter 2 begins as of a rushing mighty wind. Here we see it was the whirlwind. Oftentimes in the word of God, the moving of his spirit is equated to the wind. That's why our church is called East Wind. <laughs> we believe in the moving of the Spirit of God. We believe that the wind from the Old Testament, the wind from the New Testament is still blowing. It was an east wind that opened up the Red Sea and they walked over on dry ground. We believe there's still a God that's blowing a wind of his power and his spirit into our lives and he can make a way where there seems to be. The Bible says in the book of Psalms it was an east wind that brought the manna down. I'm glad to tell you that the east wind still blows and God not only can make a way where there is no way through his power, he's also a provider and a Jehovah Jireh. And he can give you some low-hanging fruit. They don't hardly take any effort. You say, how can he do that? Because he brought in some low-flying quail. And the Bible said the east wind blew and the manna came and covered the earth. Oh, hallelujah. What a great God we serve. So this wind and this fire, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, suddenly there came a sound of heaven, a rush mighty wind, it filled all that. So there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. This was these indicators of this New Testament church age salvation that no longer could only the high priest go into the Holy of Holies and feel the Spirit of God. Not only is this moving beyond Jesus just walking among the crowds and, and everybody trying to touch him and, and, and get be a part of him in his natural state as he would go into those different villages. And this is now the next level where God is going to be in us and that we can actually house the Spirit of God. Now, we already house the Spirit of man, but now we have an opportunity to house His Spirit, the essence of God. 
And the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him, this is that Holy Spirit that was poured out in Acts chapter 2, if that spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal bodies. So that eternal aspect of God's nature is made available in the hearts and minds of each of us. So this, this birth, as it were, of salvation is given to us in the Old Testament and the New Testament. New Testament, Acts chapter 2. In the Old Testament, we read about it here in Ezekiel. It came in a whirlwind, and it was also a fire. And I want to talk for just a moment about the fire before we get into these four different sides of salvation. When you look at this fire, you realize that there's something really interesting about studying the nature of fire. I know we oftentimes think of fire in a negative state, but fire is also something that can protect us and keep us. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the Lord led them by a cloud by day, but a pillar of fire by night. And they could all be asleep and probably had people that were watching their their clock is, is different than ours. They have hours uh, during the day. You see that in the Word of God, the sixth hour, the eighth hour, the ninth hour. They have hours that run for 12 hours, and then they have four watches that are made up of three hours apiece uh, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And that's because many times they, they had to, they had people on watch. And no doubt uh, that was the case as the children of Israel in the wilderness. But whoever was on watch, if that pillar of fire started to move, they had to go and wake up three million people and say the fire is moving. And wherever the fire goes, we go. Oh, I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to lose the fire. God, if your spirit don't go, we're not going to go. Moses said, Lord, if your spirit don't go with us in the wilderness... We're not going to go. But since it's leading us, we will follow. Hallelujah. If the fire of the Holy Ghost has fallen, I want to be in the middle of it. I was talking to a pastor of another denomination. He said he didn't need any more programs or preaching books. He needed power. He said the book of Acts speaks about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And then he asked this uh, question, why are we running away from this? And I said, we are not running away from this. We are running to it. <laughs> but I tell you that only to say this. There is a hunger for the fire. And I believe there's a responsibility for all of us as apostolic Pentecostals that we don't just sit on this. We need to tell everybody because this world is hungry for the authentic. There's a hunger for the fire. Revelation brings fire. Hunger brings fire. Passion brings fire. Fire that'll make you walk right. Fire that'll make you talk right. Fire that'll make you act right. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the fire. We were born in the fire. We got to live in the fire. And one day we're going to be caught away in the fire. Just like Elijah was caught away in a chariot of fire. One day the Lord's coming back for his church. 
The, the next thing we see about this, even before we get into these four sides, is that they were joined together. You, you, do you remember that? We'll, we'll read that as we go forward. But they were joined together, these four different uh, aspects of salvation. They were all connected. And the Bible says that they were joined together and they went forward. It, it's hard to go forward without unity. But when you are joined together, you function better when you're connected. The illustration that God gives oftentimes to the church is that we are the body of Christ. This body functions better with all of its members joined together. Now my thumb could go rogue on me and say, I really don't want to be connected to the body anymore. And it would have a hard time surviving by itself. It survives because it is connected. And the blood... Oh my. The blood touches every cell and gives life to every member. So you and I got to stay connected to the body because it's His blood. That gives life to every member. It's the blood of Jesus that was shed for the church. So I got to stay connected. A train works because the cars are connected to the locomotive. A tree grows because the limbs are connected. You will increase your spiritual productivity when you get better connected. Connected. They were joined together. Now, let me just say this about connection too. Sometimes you have to upgrade your connection. When I first got the internet, I had the old dial up. Do you, do any of y'all old enough to remember the dial up? I don't even know what all was happening, but it made a lot of noise and you had to make a call and then you had to wait for all of those weird sounds. And then once you got online, you could get knocked off at any minute. And if you wanted to send a picture, it would take 30 minutes. Because though we were connected, it was a very fragile connection. But once you go to high speed, you won't ever go back. This is why traditional denominations are afraid of the fire. Because once you go to high speed, you won't ever go back. How are you going to go back to just going through the rituals of, of modern formal religion when you've been in the fire, when you have felt his anointing, when the Lord has touched you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. There's no way you can just go back to status quo. Oh, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me. Once you get a high-speed connection to the work of the Lord, you'll never go back. You can only go forward. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I know that's what real living is all about. But let's talk for just the 15 minutes that I have left to speak to you today. Let me just talk about these, these four sides. The, the first thing is that we read in the Word of God here is the face of a man. And th this is the first side 
to this salvation. And I know in 15 minutes I'm not going to be able to explore every aspect of this, but let me just kind of give you the Google Earth overview of it. The face of a man. This is the human side of salvation. This is the human side of revival. Sometimes people uh, get confused with the humanity aspect of salvation. We think that God is not going to bless us unless we're praying five hours a day. You think that God won't fill you with the Holy Ghost because you stole a Snickers bar at eight years old. Or you got mad on the highway and you witnessed to the car going by you and you witnessed to them that there's only one way. You'll get it in a minute. We, we, we forget that he hath put this treasure in earthen vessels. And God is a very practical God. He works with humanity, flesh, and all of our mistakes and all of our faults and all the times that we know better and we still do wrong. God does not distance himself from us because salvation has the face of a man. Angels are not to be redeemed. Angels don't have revival. Angels are not the ones that have to be saved. It's flesh. It's man. It's our human nature. And so many times the enemy tries to talk man, you and I, out of the miraculous by reminding us of the frailty of our flesh. I want you from this day forward to remember that salvation has four sides, and the first of it is the face of a man. The face of a man. God came to save humanity. He shed his blood for humanity. For us with our fallen nature. We think God's not going to talk to us unless he stands at the foot of our bed and writes on the wall with a purple marker and disappearing ink. That's not how God works. God is a very practical God. He gave us his word. If any man hunger, if any man thirst, let him come. He didn't put any other qualifications on it. You don't have to be some sort of a spiritual giant. All you got to do is come. Knock and it shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given. You don't have to be an angelic being to come to the Lord and be saved. And I'm thankful for that. Because you may have convinced your spouse that you're angelic. But you and I know we're more aware of our own faults and mistakes than anybody. And I'm so thankful that salvation has the face of a man. Let me just throw this in for what it's worth. Be careful about people coming up to you and saying that they had a dream about you. God makes things very plain. Very simple. He will speak to you, and you'll know what it is. Because, ladies and gentlemen, living for God is not real complicated. He has given you His Word. It's clear. Repent. 
Be baptized in the name of Jesus. Be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It just takes desire and it takes humility and it takes commitment. And if you'll just put one foot in front of the other and walk with God and obey His Word, be kind to your neighbor. I don't know why the Bible said he had chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save the lost, but he did. He had chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. It's, it seems crazy sometimes that he has chosen preaching to be the vehicle for the Word of God to be disseminated, but he has. And why this gospel has the face of a man, I'll never know. But ladies and gentlemen, God loves humanity. He works with humanity. Man has made a lot of mistakes, and we continue to do so. There's a lot of shortcomings. Man has his flesh to deal with, but yet God chose flesh to robe himself in it. When he came to this earth as a baby, the Son of God was the flesh of God. Think about that. Being a disciple of Christ is just being normal, being faithful, being steady, being yourself, walking with God, being faithful to your wife, being faithful to your family. It's the face of a man. But yet God said, I'm not running from it. I've come to redeem it, and I'm going to robe myself in it. So you get the picture there. The first side to salvation is the face of a man. The second is the face of a lion. The face of a lion. I love to study lions. I've, I've watched them in the wild and the way that they move and the way that they stalk and the way that they relax, which is most of the time. And lions are, are very interesting creatures. One of the things that we know from not only watching them but from reading the Word of God is that lions are very bold. They are not timid. When you watch a lion work in its uh, environment, whether it be out on the savannas of Africa or if you see a documentary of it, it's, it's interesting. I remember one morning my, um, my father and I were, uh, I believe we were in Kenya, and we were on a safari, and we were up early in the morning. We were in this Jeep with this guide, and he took us out. We were in this massive savannah. There was all different animals. You could see hyenas and impalas, and you could see all different animals. And there was a big male lion that just started walking. And as he started walking down this little trail, we just sat in the Jeep and watched him. And he walked, and every other aspect of nature all took attention to this lion that was walking. Very, very bold. The Bible says in Proverbs uh, 28 that the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Philippians 1.14 says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 1 Thessalonians 2.2, But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, Paul is talking here about how that he and Silas were beaten and put in prison in Philippi. Wrong, uh, they were charged wrongfully. He said, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God 
with much contention. He said we had to strive for it. You can't just run from salvation because there's some obstacles. You sometimes have to strive for it. You've got to push for it. Boldness is important in getting the revival started on the right foot. Uh, even as we have talked about this year, what we believe through this vision that God has put in our hearts and minds of 500 people being filled with the Holy Ghost, it is important for us to start that process by understanding the necessity of boldness. We have got to be bold with the gospel. We got to be bold to teach a Bible study. We got to be bold to witness to our neighbor. We got to be bold to stand for truth in our schools. We got to be bold enough to stand up to a manager or a boss and say, I'm going to go to work on Sunday. But my work is going to be in the house of God. I'm going to the house of God. It's Sunday and it's my day of worship. When Truett Cathy started Chick fil A, he said, I'm going to be closed on Sunday so all my employees can go to church. And they said, well, Truett, you make a good chicken sandwich. I've been to his little original restaurant in Atlanta, right near the airport where he started out. And Chick-fil-A was just the name of one of the items on his little menu, his little diner. And uh, it, was a, it was a good chicken sandwich. They said, you make a good chicken sandwich, Truett, but there is no way that you can be closed on the busiest day of the week. You will not be able to make it. You're going to go out of business. You'll have to change your business model. And guess what? Chick-fil-A has grown faster than any other fast food restaurant, and they're still closed on Sunday. You've got to be bold in what you believe. You've got to be bold about your convictions. You've got to be bold about the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that has ever happened to humanity. You've got to be as bold as Barnabas to cry out from the wayside, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You've got to be bold enough to go to the throne room of grace. You've got to be bold enough to declare a miracle in the face of discouragement. You've got to be bold enough to worship God in the face of a loss and say, great is the Lord and greatly to be pray salvation is the face of a man and the face of a lion and then the third thing is the face of an ox an ox nobody ever wants to be compared to an ox wow you're looking beautiful today you look a lot like an ox nobody <laughs> Nobody ever wants to be known as an ox. An ox is a beast of burden. An ox is not a real attractive animal, but it is a necessary animal. In those days, you could not plow a field without an ox. You needed the strength of an ox to get the work done. There's no way around it. They were crucial. Ladies and gentlemen, it takes more to have revival than just the face of a man and the face of a lion. It takes the face of an ox. It takes work to be saved. It takes work to say no to sin. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. I'm thankful for faith. I'm thankful that's a part of who we are. But it has to be combined with works. It's still going to require you and I making a step toward him. 
It's going to require some action on our part. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, you have to be like an ox. And you've got to just put your head down and plow straight ahead. I'm not looking to the right. I'm not looking to the left. I'm headed straight toward my reward. Hallelujah. I'm not going to let anything deter me. I'm not going to let family, relatives, discouragement, the loss of a job, even a health crisis. Uh, I've got my mind made up. I worry sometimes that we've raised a whole generation that thinks that work is evil. Ladies and gentlemen, work is what made this country great. Work is what made us an industrialized nation. Work is what will sustain you. In fact, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. I'm sure you'll not hear anybody say that on the presidential campaign trail this, this year. But that's what the Bible says. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. But here's one thing I do know. You'll live longer if you work. I was thinking about my grandmother the other day, my father's mother, who lived to be almost 100 years old. She passed a few years ago. And a few years before that, I went to her 90th birthday, and we had a party for her, and she was telling me about all these things that she was doing and her garden and all the stuff that she was involved in. And, and she said to me, son, she said, I just don't understand all these people that are sick all the time. Here she is, 90. And she said, if I feel bad, I just start doing something. She said, I get busy with something, and she said, it's amazing. I start to feel better. She said, doing nothing will make you sick quicker than anything. And then she said something I hope I don't ever forget. She said, always remember, son, you'll rust out quicker than you'll wear out. Hey, if that's true in the natural, that's also true in the spiritual. You'll get sick spiritually if you're not working for the kingdom. If you're not involved with helping to carry the load, you'll get spiritually anemic. I'm so thankful, hallelujah, that the word of God and the work of God has a lot of room for workers. The Bible says, work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. Mary and Martha were sisters, and one was at the feet of Jesus, and the other was working in the kitchen, and Martha said, Lord, tell Mary to get in here and help me. And the Lord said, Martha, Mary hath chosen the greater good. Now I want you to notice that greater good. She is worshiping me. We think that that means was Martha was out of the will of God. No, what Martha was doing was good. It was good too. He said, Mary had chosen the greater good. But he was saying, what you're doing is also good. She was working. We need the hands of Martha. We need the heart of Mary, but we need the hands of Martha. We need both. One is not evil and the other good. They are both necessary. And this is going to require some work on our part, some action on our part. But to move toward God, you've got to get involved. You've got to get under the burden of the work, and you will grow, and you will be strong because salvation has a side of an ox, and it means work, and it means, Lord, I'm not afraid. Whatever is needed, I'm not afraid to take that step, to make that commitment. This thing's not all mamsy-pamsy, name it and claim it. You've got to sometimes get your shoulder up under the burden and begin to pray for a lost relative. You've got to get your shoulder up under intercessory prayer and say, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to get a hold of the horns of the altar until I get a breakthrough. Let me quickly finish. The last one is the face of an eagle. 
I see eagles as being able to soar high above all the stuff below. They can ride the wind of a storm. They can use the strong winds for their own jet engines. There can be a storm that's got everybody else worried. But an eagle will take those updrafts and just fly. Exodus 19.4, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that worship is what brings us into the presence of God. You have to have the face of an eagle. And when the wind begins to blow and the storms begin to blow, use the wind to lift you up above the shadows. Use your adversity, hallelujah, to bring you closer and stronger to God. Turn your sorrows into worship. Turn your troubles into praise. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh my. Sometimes you got to just mount up. Sometimes you got to just get on your praise. Sometimes you got to realize that salvation is near you. If you just soar, if you just lift up your eyes and lift up your hands and lift up your heart stand to your feet this morning mount up make a move be strong be bold be yourself let god take you to a high place because salvation is come to your house today